Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, depending on when you're listening to this. Um, I'm your host, Casey. We're going to get into my podcast, Let's Tell Their Story. Um, I want to basically just bring light to cases that have gone unsolved for years, over the last 40 years. There's been over 200,000 cases that have not been, have got unsolved, whether they are murders, suspicious deaths, or missing persons. Um, basically just want to get this out there and hope that we can get some of these maybe solved. Today's case probably won't happen. It's been over 40 years. Um, it's a pretty strong case. But before I get into that, I do want to bring up there is a missing persons from her name is Sarah Gardner she went missing on March 6 2023 Uh, Sarah was went missing from Kansas City Kansas on March 6 2023 Sarah had stated that she was going to Arizona but was last seen in the Kansas City area Sarah was last known to be driving a black 2006 Audi A4 with Wisconsin tags Sarah is 39 years old. She is 5 foot 9 inches tall and weighs 160 pounds. She has blonde or strawberry hair and hazel eyes. Sarah was last known to be wearing a black and white striped hoodie and blue jeans. If you have any information regarding Sarah's disappearance or you know of her whereabouts or you see or if you've seen her car Please call the Kansas City, Kansas Police Department at 913-596-3000 or the KBI at 785-296-4017. The police department case number to this case is 2023-27658. Let's help find Sarah, her family and friends are really missing her. Okay, now I'm gonna actually get into the story for today. Uh, Imagine having just finished your first year of college. It's been a fairly good year. You've made a best friend that you'll never really get to see the links that she'll go to get justice for you. You've had a feeling that you're being watched and you're aware of who your stalker is. You know your dorm room has been broken into, but nothing was taken. What do you do? Who do you go to? Since you're on a campus, you'd go to the campus security, right? Well, in 1968, that's exactly what Christine Rothschild did and was told that if she felt she was in danger, that she should get a whistle. Campus security would come to regret those words in May of 1968. Let's get down. Sorry, my cat keeps crawling across my lap. Christine Rothschild was born November 14, 1949, to Emmanuel and Patria Rothschild. Christine was one of four in the family out of her out of her three three other sisters. She was the one that took her education the most serious. Christine was the, was the class president, a writer and editor for her school paper, a member of the French club, and even dabbled in teenage modeling. Uh, 
Christine was looking forward to pursuing her education in journalism. She really wanted to attend Vassar University in New York. Her mom, Patria, wasn't having her daughter go to a university in such a dangerous place. Even though the university was technically in the suburbs of New York, so Christine chose the University of Wisconsin-Madison since it was only an hour and a half from her parents in the suburbs of Chicago and a safer school to go to. Christine's father was the inventor of the coin-operated gates that we see in parking lots. So anytime you go researching this case, more information is found on on Christine than with the other girls. And I'll eventually get into the details and the connections that they have together. On a rainy day in May, Phil Van Valkenberg stepped outside to have a cigarette. He had jumped off the bottom step and rapped on the window below to alert his buddies that he was out there. And that's when he noticed it, a body. But it was not just any body. It was one of his classmates, and that classmate was no other than Christine Rothschild. Her mutilated body lay there. She had been stabbed a total of 14 times. Her jaw had been beaten to make her face almost unrecognizable. The lining of her jacket had been torn out and wrapped around her neck, and her gloves had been shoved down her throat. Christine had been put into a stage-like fashion, and under her head was a man's handkerchief of high-quality material, a material that was not found in the Madison area at the time. Phil hadn't been the first one to notice Christine that day, however, but the first one but the first one to make the gruesome discovery. Earlier that day, since most activities had been rained out, it was one it was not unusual for a family to load up in a family station wagon and go for a scenic drive. I remember doing this as a kid, and I grew up in the 80s. Apparently us Midwesterners have an unusual way of passing the time. Anyway, since the activities were almost rained out, a Waukesha family loaded up in the station wagon headed to Madison where they took in the sights of the UWM campus while passing while passing the Sterling Hall building. The little boy in the back had noticed what he called, said a mannequin near the hedgerow. His parents dis, had dismissed his claims as either the boy's imagination running wild or the physics department having a very demented year-end prank. One of the first things that Phil noticed was that Christine's blue dress was matted red. It turned. It turns out the red was from the blood where she had been stabbed 14 total times in her torso and the stab wounds had mutilated her midsection. With that, the cops would later determine would be would have been from some type of utens- medical utensil, otherwise known as probably a surgical scalpel. Phil, in a panic of adrenaline, ran back to the front doors of the hall, the main hall. Nope, not the main hall. The Sterling Hall. Sorry, my apologies. Uh, where the 
where he almost broke the glass to the doors since he was pushing where he was trying to push a pull door which we've all done we've pushed when we needed a pull or we've pulled when we needed a push once inside the building he ran to the first open office he's seen on the main floor to call the police department However, all the lines on the campus rang through to the campus PD headquarters rather than to the Madison City switchboard. This was 1968. Things ran different then. Well, it turned out to be a good thing and a bad thing since there happened to be two campus cops just around the corner. Those two cops were Roger Golumb and Tiny Frey who happened to be the same campus security that Christine had gone to about the stalking, and they were the ones that had told her to just get a whistle if she felt like she was in danger. Uh, and, and, and these two weren't done making a mockery out of Christine at all, um, and it just gets worse. They never secured the crime scene like crime tape or anything like that most cops I suppose with advancements and stuff and they really they were campus cops so they really didn't know what to do at a crime scene they just didn't have the training uh dude I lost where I was at So instead of securing it, they, the officers had trampled the scene, destroying any dev evidence that had been there. There was a gawking crowd of co-eds and just curious, creepy people. Uh, within three minutes of Phil's call to the police, officers and medics were on the scene. Medics had realized that rigor mortis hadn't set in yet, and the UW cops gave the medics basic free reign to do what they needed to do to get rid of the body the once cover <clears throat> the once cover girl of chicago's teen fashion week sheet was flung into the back of the ambulance by the medics with a hammock swing basically they took one took her arms and the other one took her legs her feet and they flung her into the ambulance they didn't have a gurney no blanket nothing they just basically tossed her onto the cold metal floor of the ambulance to be taken 150 feet across the street to the uw hospital to finally be pronounced dead since every opportunity at the crime scene had been missed to do that So, remember that friend, the best friend that's going to go to Lynx to help? Well, her name was Linda Tomaszewski. Polish names are difficult, sorry. <laughs> and she was, she was and she is convinced that Christine's killer was someone known as Dr. Niels Jorgensen or Jorgensen. I've heard it both ways. I am from the Midwest, and I've heard it both ways, so it's hard to say if he went by Jorgensen or if it was Jorgensen. Um, and she she had seen him, and she was she knew he was the one stalking her. Christine did. 
now we're going to take a leap into the future of the past to July of 1976. So we're going eight years ahead. Having been, having been evicted from her Lofts Gordon Avenue apartment, Deborah J. Bennett had been living at the Cardinal Hotel in Madison as of the 1st of July, 1976. Deborah had been arrested by the Madison police as a suspect in the burglary of an, of an apartment on William Street in, 19, in June of 1976. However, she was not convicted of the crime, and on July 10th, a badly burnt female body had been found in the ditch of Cross Plains, a small town just outside of Madison on Old Sauk Pass Road, that was near State Highway 14. It would take dental records and a childhood broken collarbone to determine the badly burnt body to be that of 20-year-old Deborah J. Bennett, who was last confirmed seen on July 8th by the Cardinal Hotel staff. Deborah's hotel key had been was mailed back to the hotel, just the key, no note, nothing else with the key just the key according to deborah's friend deborah's friend only known as karen said quote deborah was the type of girl who trusted everyone and i think she trusted the wrong person this time unquote she also made it clear that many of her and deborah's conversations involved death and how deborah was afraid to die karen had been to a concert with mattis in Madison with Deborah that Independence Day, where much of the conversation had revolved around Deborah's ailing father, who was failing, whose health was failing, he had the final stages of terminal cancer. So Deborah was just she was witnessing this, and she was just so scared that she was going to die, or how the death worked. Deborah was just a small town girl from Ridgeway looking for something she was missing in the big city. Unfortunately, her life was cut way too short for her to ever find what she was looking for. Just under two years later, the Madison Police Department would be busy investigating another murder. This time, just off of Highway 12, west of Wanakee, a shallow grave along Woodland Road, 18-year-old Julie Ann Hall was found. She was last seen uptown Madison with her brother Howard and her good friend Jim Gunn on June 16th. Julie was born December 19, 1958 in Dubuque, Iowa to Betty Hall of Baraboo, Wisconsin and Donnie Hall of Fenmore, Fenimore, Wisconsin and was the only girl out of eight children. I would not want seven brothers. I had, I have two, so it's. <laughs> I could only imagine what five more would be. Julie had, Julie had taken on employment May first in the archives section as a library assistant at the Wisconsin Historical Society. The largest amount of details to Julie's death was that she was found in a shallow grave, face down with obvious in obvious blows to her head with a blunt instrument and that she had 
probably been deceased for at least three to five days before she was found. Then on March 27, 1979, Julie Spearschneider was headed to a friend's house and just like the girls previous, she made it to her destination. She never made it to her destination. On June 1st, Julie was reported missing. Spear Schneider was known to she was known to hitchhike a which was pretty common to thing to do in the 70s and 80s. A witness had come forward and said they were pretty sure that they had given Spear Schneider a ride along picture picked Julie up and gave her a ride and Julie had a male companion and this person had dropped both of them off about a block from where Julie's friends was friend's house was. This is Julie Spearsnyder, not Julie Hall. We've jumped it there's two Julies and I'm gonna try my best to separate them. But right now we are talking about Julie Spearsnyder. The witness had seen the missing a witness had the witness had seen the missing persons report in the Wisconsin State Journal and realized that Spearsnyder's description matched that of the woman they gave a ride home to that night. They had also given the description of the man that was with Spearsnyder. However, there was no trace of the man to be found. Julie Spearsnyder was born to David and Joan Spearsnyder in Green Bay on October 20th, 1958, making her 20 years old at the time of her disappearance. When she went missing, she had been working two jobs, one as a day as a daycare worker at the at a daycare center and one at a Chinese restaurant. I'm assuming she was a waitress or a host or something like that. It wouldn't be until two years later, April of 1981, in a wooded area along the Yahara River, a decomposing woman's body would be found and only identified through dental records to be that of Julie Spearsnyder. The coroner had treated the death as a murder, but he couldn't confidently say that, be, say that because of the de decomposed state Julie's body was found in. <clears throat> Standing five foot five inches with a crippled left leg and a twisted left arm, 24-year-old Susan Lemayu, I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that right, disappeared from her room at from, at Allen Hall, December of 1979. Allen Hall, this is a, this was a treatment facility. Allen Hall does sound like a name, and we've got Julie Hall in here, so this gets a little bit, wow. Um, Allen Hall was a treatment facility for mentally disabled that weren't living, that weren't living in an institution, but they weren't to the point where they could live on their own. It was kind of a transition building. Susan had been missing for four days before anyone even reported her missing, and when they did, they were basically told that she probably just wandered off, as I'm assuming they probably just thought so too. So there was an article in the Capital Times 
that has Susan's name in it, it's spelled the same. I'm not sure if it is the same Susan Mayu. It had involved a man that Susan was to testify against in a battery case that he allegedly beat her up on April 12th of 1979. And apparently on August 24th, he cornered this guy that was she was supposed to testify against. He'd cornered her outside of a bar and told her that if she testified against him, that he would kill her or have her killed. And that, <clears throat> excuse me, and that could be the reason behind her crippled leg and twi- and her crippled left leg and her crippled left arm or twisted left arm. But that's just my speculation on that. I can't say for sure if her physical state was something to do with when she was born or an accident or if it resulted out of this just because of the fact that I'm not 100% sure if Susan and this case are related. Um, And I'm sure you have figured out by now Susan obviously didn't just wander off because if she had, I wouldn't have her on the list. So sadly, in April of... April of 80, 1980 that is, in the in the marsh area outside of Madison, Arrotum, I knew this bird was going to be hard for me, Madison, Arbortum, Susan's naked body was found. <clears throat> Madison police, Richard, Captain Richard Cohen was quoted saying, we have some ideas as what the cause of death was, but that won't be made public until further information is developed. It's obvious that Susan was met with foul play and that further developing information to be made from to the public. Well, it's been over 40 years and I can't find any of those ideas as to what may have caused her death. So it was never made public if there was ever anything that was found to be a cause. In July of 1981, again in another wooded area near now we're now we're near Lake Mendota, a body was discovered while four of the university archaeologist students were mapping the Indinoya. <laughs> These words and these names of lakes, towns in the Wisconsin area, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm from Wisconsin, and some of these words I even have a hard time with, and yet we still have them. Uh, They were mapping out the Indianoia area of the North Shore, uh, the North Shore part of the lake of Lake, Lake Mendota, um, and the remains, they, they found a, obviously they found a body and it, the remains at that, of that body were that of a 17 year old girl that had disappeared January 2nd, 1980. 
Her name was Shirley Stewart, and she was after she was last seen leaving her job as a maid housekeeper in at the Dean Clinic of Madison. It is not, and now, and now, we've had two Julies, we've had Christine, we've had Deborah, and it's taken till they've gotten to Shirley to actually think that these deaths are all related. Um, the only one they don't really think is connected is Julie Hall because she wasn't found in a woody, wooded area, but all these girls had some sort of connection to either UW-Madison or the Madison area. And since Shirley was a minor at the time of her disappearance and discovery, there isn't much information on Shirley other than the information that I just gave you. So was there a serial killer in the Madison area at the time? Or just happened to be, or that would just happen to be more clever than the police? It's possible, but very unlikely. And we're not quite done with this whole murder spree yet, but we are actually closing in to the end and the theories but I want all of these I want all of these girls' names out there and a glimpse into their stories, even if it's just a tiny glimpse, even if it's just when they disappeared, what their connection was to Madison, when their bodies were found, how their bodies were found. This has been a pretty big Wisconsin case. So in July of 1982, it... <clears throat> And then, is it just me, or does it seem like the months of April and July keep popping up where these bodies keeping, or when they're getting found, or when they're disappearing? Um, okay, I'm going to get back to the story. So, in 1982, from an upstairs apartment window near Camp Randall Stadium, a student of the university watched the unfortunate, deadly attack of Donna Mraz. Donna assumed that she was alone that night walking the few blocks to where she was staying like she had done many times before after she was get, after she got off the bus from leaving her job at a restaurant that she worked at in the city the student from upstairs he had saw the attack on Deborah and he'd ran down to try and help Deb sorry Donna not Deborah Donna. Like I said, there's a lot of names in here, so it's just a matter of trying to remember which names are which. Right now, we're on Donna, <clears throat> not Deborah. So I apologize, apologize so much for that. So this, the student from upstairs, he had seen the attack. He'd ran down, and he was trying to help Donna, but his efforts ended up being unsuccessful due to the fact that she, in her chest the attacker had stabbed her and left in an enormous stab wound and Donna basically pretty much bled out the witness he at some point went under hypnosis to try and jog his memory of what the attacker had looked like 
but unfortunately no leads came from from it but a sketch was made public made to made to the public of a five foot eight to nine inch white male somewhere between 25 and 30 years of age with straight dark hair and a full beard full beard and mustache and he was wearing a white t-shirt with green stripes and dark jeans officers wanted to talk to this man but he was never found to talk to now i'm going to kind of start wrapping this up a little bit so we're gonna go into the last girl that is on the on the list of the capital city killings the mad city killings it's had a couple different names throughout the years Um, mad city just is short for madison city killings so Another another decomposing female body happened to be found by hunters November 17th of 1984, and the remains would be that of Janet Roche. Janet was a business major and a UW-Stevens Point. Catch that, Stevens Point. UW-Stevens Point. These are all University of Wisconsin's. There's multiple universities of Wisconsin's in Wisconsin, but Janet isn't Stevens Point, not Madison. As she was reported missing by her father October 11, 1984, after a friend of hers had dropped her off near the town of Buena Vista, where the hunters had found her partially clothed, burnt body. Janet was she was Janet was found with an open can of soda, a duffel bag, an umbrella, lighter, radio, and a sleeping bag that were all all the items were found approximately fifty feet from her body. She I I am not sure if there are there I, my personal opinion there's foul play but i don't think she is connected to the other girls um there was also the light light blue sweatshirt that jana janet was wearing that her friend that dropped her off remembered seeing and it was rolled up like she had been taking a nap on it so I'm not sure if Janet had just decided "Eh, this is a good place to pack it up and camp for the night and since there was a lighter maybe she started a fire got a little out of hand she went she tried crawling out to get her body from burning and that could have been it or if she may have been met with foul play anyway Janet Let's get back to Janet and her life. Janet had enjoyed helping on her family's farm in Merrill. She also played trumpet in the band, and she loved to exercise, and she loved music. However, and my little rant that I went on, at 38 years after Janet's death, her cause of death had been changed from a possible homicide to being ruled an accidental death 
and i don't think janet's death has any connections with the formers uh she really didn't have any connection to uw madison or any madison re related connections the only connection i see is she is a university of wisconsin student and that is the only thing and where the other girls are basically in the madison area Janet's body was found almost three hours away. Uh, so that connection, I just, these girls, and I really, the only connection I see is the wooded area with a lot of them and the fact that all but one of these girls, and that was, I want to say Shirley Stewart. Nope, not Shirley. Um, oh, let me find it. Let me find it. Let me find it. Oh. Due to technical issues, Next week's will be the finishing of this episode. I am really sorry we had technical issues of this episode. Hope you guys enjoyed. Thank you.